0: I do not enjoy going to the dentist. Um, the dentist for me—it's—it's it's not the physical pain. It's not the social awkwardness of trying to have a conversation while a person has their hand in your mouth. For me, there's this emotional upheaval for me when I go to the dentist. I feel like I'm being evaluated. And it all comes down to the one question, have you been flossing? (laughs) Now, the defensive part of me wants to say something along the lines of, if you're asking me that question, it probably means you can't tell, so why are you bothering asking me? But seeing as I shouldn't come across too defensive, I have come up with a good two-word answer that I think suffices in the gray moral area and my response is at times (laughs) that time being particularly right before I come in once every six months (laughs) but it's enough to get the hygienist off my back and me having to be given a, a a moral lesson on oral hygiene and I think this comes because as a child, when I was growing up, before I would go for my checkups, my mom would make sure I brushed my teeth numerous times, three, four times. I flossed, I washed, I gargled. And uh, I was asking my friend Tyler the other day, I was like, did your mom make you do that? And he's like, yeah, I had to start brushing my teeth two days in advance. Um, <clears throat> so as I got older and I started paying my own insurance, and i get the insurance statement, I noticed that it actually said cleaning on the bill. So I started to wonder, why am I cleaning my teeth if they're going to clean my teeth? I don't launder and iron my clothes before I take them to the dry cleaner, and I don't bathe my dog before I take him to get groomed. Yet something in me has this deep moral need to hear the dentist say, good job. Not much plaque, a little below the gum line, to which I can respond, yeah, but who can get down there, right? (laughs) So, I find that I don't just do this at the dentist. I I do it in a lot of areas of my life. Um, With a dentist, I guess you could say I'm a a dental moralist or an oral moralist. Uh, With my yard, I want people to drive by or come by my house and say, you have beautiful green grass, to which I can feel really good about myself that I've killed the dandelions and hidden the little green onions that grow up. You don't bother with them because if you cut them right, no one can tell they're there. So I'm a lawn moralist. I'm a hospitality moralist. When people come over to my house and I've made a meal, I need to hear from them, this was really good, or can I get the recipe, or where did you learn how to make this? Um... If you want to do a little experiment on your friends, you can try this. Go over to their house for dinner and don't say a word about the meal. Don't compliment them. Don't say thank you when you leave. Don't ask for the recipe. Have a pleasant conversation and leave. Don't take wine. Just just partake and see if it doesn't bother them. Would that bother you? If so, you are a hospitality moralist. If you're the type of person that you're like, man... Turn to your husband after the guests leave. They didn't say a word about my cooking. Yeah, we all have that deep need to be validated, to be told well done. You did a good job. I find my significance and worth in so many things. My body, my look, my performance, my vocation. Please tell me I did a good job this evening when we're done, right? (laughs) The worst part of all, of course, is I do it with God. I am a religious moralist. I want to bring to God enough of the good of my life That he can just kind of supplement some of the stuff I can't cover on my own with grace. And that's what I tend to think grace is. It is God supplementing my righteousness. There's a game called Guitar Hero. Some of you who are younger may know what I'm talking about. For the older folks, I'll try and explain. Guitar Hero is a game where there's all these classic rock songs. And you have a fake guitar with a bunch of buttons up here and like a little strum thing down here and so the music starts and there's these little notes and you're supposed to correspond the colored notes to your colored keys as you're strumming it's like carry on my way and you're like going and if you're doing it right and you're getting it right you stay in the green but if you start to miss notes or you drop notes it drops into the yellow and eventually can drop into the red and you lose so the goal is to keep it up in the green. Well, here's the thing. Every classic rock song has an amazing guitar solo, right? About two-thirds of the way through the song, you're going to hit a guitar solo, and it's the most difficult part of the game. Is You've got to play through that guitar solo like really good, or you're going to start dropping into the yellow, you're going to start, start dropping into the red, and you're not going to make it to the end. But within the game, there's these things called star power, where if you perform well enough in the first two-thirds of the song, you build up this star power. So when you get to the guitar solo and you're, you're starting to dip into the yellow, and you're dipping into the red, you hit your button and star power comes on and it powers you through the most difficult part of the song so you can make it to the end. That's my view of God's grace. <laughs> that I do well enough, I do good enough, I'm I'm living the moral life i'm living the faith life i'm i mean i'm here on a monday thursday service aren't i i mean there's a lot of people missing tonight i'm here so i'm sure god is pleased with that and so there's a few things however being patient with my mom a couple other things i just need some star power and so i i need god's grace for those moments of life God's grace is not there to supplement my righteousness. God's grace is there to supplant my righteousness. He has come in to overthrow any sense of my dignity, worth, or value. Romans 10, 1 through 3, Paul is writing to the church in Rome Paul, being a Jew, has a deep love for Jewish people and desires their salvation. He says this in verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. He says, I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. The Jewish people go all out for God. They do the temple worship. They they know the scriptures. They do all that needs to be done. They have a zeal for God. They're showing up to all the services for Holy Week. They have a zeal for God, but their zeal isn't based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. That religious moralists like me are attempting to establish a righteousness of my own. I don't want to have to submit to the righteousness of God. That doesn't mean I submit to his laws and do what he's saying. It's saying he has provided a righteousness an alien and a foreign righteousness to me, which I just must bring my life under and say God pour it on me. And instead I try to establish a righteousness of which I can get my own footing in this world of faith or my own footing in this world period to show myself worthy. Didn't submit to God's righteousness, it's about submitting to God's righteousness. And so, when I read the story that Aubrey read for us in John 13, of Jesus coming to Peter to wash his feet, and Peter's both resistance and insistence, I see myself in it a lot. Now, I might be reading into my emotion and my life into Peter. I don't know, um, but but that's where I'm coming from as I see this text. That when Jesus comes to Peter, and he approaches him to wash his feet, and Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus is like, yeah, that's what the water's for. Um, I'm here to wash your feet. He said, no, Lord, you, you can't do that. You'll never wash my feet. Most of us read that and think, oh, how humble of Peter. Oh, wow, well, that's right. That's God. And God shouldn't be washing humans' feet. That's just a real humble move on Peter's part to say, no, you know, you shouldn't do that. But in reality, what Peter is saying is, I can take care of this on my own. Not much dirt there. There's plenty of other dirty feet around here, Jesus. You know what I'm talking about. So, you know, maybe you could help him out a little bit, wash his feet. My feet are fine. There is actually this resistance to receiving the grace that Jesus is offering, And so Peter isn't humble at all. He's extremely proud. And so Jesus pushes the nuclear button. You get the nuclear option, my way or the highway. Um, It's going to happen this way. So Jesus says, look, unless I wash you, you're not going to have any part in me. There's absolutely no way we can be in relationship unless I wash you. So Peter says, well, then not just my feet. Hey, wash my hands, wash my head. Let's do the the whole kit and caboodle. Again, seems really humble, doesn't it? Religious moralism needs to appear humble. If there's any sense of pride within religious moralism, people will sniff it out. So we got to be good at our angles. And so Peter's like, well, you know, I'm just so sinful, Jesus. Not just my feet, just, just wash all of me. <laughs> and Jesus is like, uh, all right, Peter, whatever. Um, what Peter is saying is, Jesus, look, I'm self-aware enough. I know the issues in my life. Let me tell you what they are. They're hands, head, and feet. So if you want to take care of those areas for me, I got this under control. This this is the type of person who, when you start having health issues, you go on WebMD, and you look up all of your symptoms, and you self-diagnose. And the only reason you go to the doctor is to get medication, You don't need the doctor to actually examine you. You go to the doctor to tell him what's wrong with you because you know it all. And you just need a little medicine from him. And this, again, is what Peter is doing. Religious moralism. I know what's wrong with me, Lord. Just watch these things. It is an insistence to do it his way or a resistance to receive grace. Both of which the heart of the matter is control. Peter wants to be in control. The religious moralist wants to be in control, not just of life, but of their life with God. I want to be God of my life with God. I will tell God when I need forgiving. I will tell him what those things are and when it needs to be done. I am in charge. To which Jesus says, no. Here's how it's going to work. You're going to sit there. You're going to be quiet. And I'm going to wash you. I know what's wrong in your life. I know you better than you know yourself. So I will attend to all the little things that you could never even tell me about, but you think you know about. And I will clean you. See, God's love is a sovereign love. God loves us on his terms, not on our terms. God doesn't come to us and say, what do you need done in your life? Is there something here, something there? Let me know how I can help. He comes to us and says, this is love, it's me, you can either take it or leave it. But you will receive it as I want to give it, not as you think you need it. It is a sovereign love that loves on his terms. And this is pretty offensive. This is why most of us don't like having our feet washed. It's somebody stepping in to your life and saying let me take care of some business. And you're like, well, I can take care of it. It's like, no, you can't. Let me wash your feet for you. Most of us, when people are going to approach us, even tonight, are going to want to apologize for the little bits of lint between our toes. We're going to want to explain, my feet normally don't smell this bad. It's the shoes. They went with the outfit. I had to wear them. We're going to want to say enough thank yous to somehow merit the washing Few, if any of us, will be able to simply sit there in silence and be washed. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. To be quiet before Him without explaining ourselves, without needing to justify ourselves, without needing to even thank Him. Let Him do His work, and then He will speak the words. Verse 10. You are clean. That's a declarative statement. It's not saying, I cleaned you. He's simply saying, you are clean. Jesus' words are the index of all reality. What he speaks happens. What he speaks is true. It's a declared righteousness, but it's not just a word he speaks that washes us. The next three days, we celebrate a time-space event that washes us. And so as we come to be clean tonight, our job is to do something pretty difficult. That is to stop being religious moralists, to stop explaining ourselves, to stop justifying ourselves. And to simply sit there and let somebody represent Jesus for us. Taking water and a towel in their hands and to clean us. This is a huge step of faith for a lot of us. To get up and let someone take off your shoes and your socks. Uh, that's, that's too personal. That's weird. And so we let fear come in the way of Jesus cleaning us. So fear is the opposite of faith. I don't know if you know that. Not doubt. Doubt's part of faith. Fear is the opposite of faith. I fear someone seeing galluses on my feet. I fear someone smelling my feet. <laughs> I fear just the weirdness of this whole social interaction. And so I'll just sit here and not do anything. I want to encourage you guys to take a step of faith, to not be self-focused in this moment, but to be Jesus-focused, to be God-focused. Say, God, you are the one who cleans me. You are the one who is pure and true. It's your hands that come upon me. Lord, I need to be cleaned. I can't hide things from you. I can't self-define what all the things that need to be done in my life right now. All I can do is sit here. Lord, grant me faith to come and sit and to be cleaned. And to hear someone speak the words to me, you are clean. Now, for the religious moralists in the room, you're in a quandary right now. Because if you stay there after I just encourage everyone to exercise faith, you will appear to be one who is living in fear. And you can't appear to be living in fear because as a religious moralist, you have to exercise some sort of outward image to appear to be religiously put together. Some of you, if you just tracked with what I was saying and you're feeling that, some of you, the biggest step of faith you can take is to say where you're seated tonight. To not get up and be washed. To trust that what other opinions of you in the room might be for not getting up and being washed. That God's opinion of you is what matters. That his word in his declarative statement over you is what is most true, whether or not you come and get your feet washed this evening. So, let's in faith trust God as we go into this time of worship, singing and receiving grace just by sitting, not a word, sitting and receiving God's grace and humbly and joyfully hearing him whisper into our, our hearts and our minds, you are clean. Let me pray for us. Lord, the hardest thing for me in my life is to believe that I'm clean. And to believe your words about me are actually true. That I'm a son, that I have righteousness, that I'm approved, that I'm accepted, that I'm loved. And Lord, I don't think I'm the only person in this room who feels that way. That the greatest act of faith is to actually trust your words. And to have the courage to stand before you as one who is unclean and who is dirty. Lord, we have no righteousness to present to you tonight. We bring nothing before you except our dirt. And we sit quietly before you. And we allow you, Lord, to wash us. Lord, apart from you cleaning us, we have no good thing. But with you, all righteousness is ours. So, Lord, we humbly and joyfully receive your cleaning words and works this evening. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.